Right. First of all, I'd like to welcome Georgina and Nayam. So, good morning and welcome to the 11am news here at Silent Alfish. We're going straight to our roving reporter, Nayam, who is live with Nicodemus. 613. I had 613 rules to keep. Just think about that. Do you really understand how many that is? And I knew them all. And I kept them, mostly. But then there I am, sitting across from Jesus. And he says, Nicodemus, it's not about the rules. I'm paraphrasing him. But that's basically what he said. Now tell me, why did you go to see Jesus? You have to see it from my perspective. I mean, the day before, I see this guy turning the temple upside down. The place, mind you, that I've spent my whole life trying to preserve. So you could understand why I wanted to go have a chat with him in a secluded place at night. And how exactly did that make you feel? I mean, how would you feel if someone says, someone that you trusted, if they tell you that what you've devoted your entire life to, that it misses the point entirely? Foolish. That's exactly how it makes you feel. So I said to him, only one law? That feels too good to be true. Because it did. Apparently, all I had to do was believe that he was the Messiah. That he was the one that had been promised. He just glossed over it. Like it was such a simple thing. Then he just starts talking about being born again. Being born of the Spirit. And I'm thinking, can we please go back to where you took this really complicated thing and just made it not complicated. You see, my life was in all those details. Actually, no, my religion was in those details, in the complications of the law. I'm making sure every T was crossed, every, well, you know, but that's what I thought would save me. 613 laws. Turns out, I was wrong. It was love that would save me. For God so loved. Okay. So, was Nicodemus a good Christian? In fact, what makes a good Christian? Someone who goes to church every Sunday, who prays twice a day, someone who never sins, or is it something else entirely? The answer is actually quite simple. There's no such thing. In Christianity, there aren't any boxes to tick. You can't earn your path to heaven because there's nothing we can do to deserve heaven. 
Humanity is almost irreparably flawed because of sin and man's desire to live without God. I don't know if any of you have watched The Good Place. It's a TV show on Netflix which depicts an afterlife. There's a good place and a bad place, and every single thing you do on earth throughout your life has either positive or negative points. When you die, you have a total. And if it meets a certain threshold, you go to the good place. As you watch, you find that nobody has reached that threshold in hundreds of years. Because life is too complicated. We're all human, and humans sin. Thank God, for us, life isn't like the good place. Jesus went to the cross and took away all of our negative points. As it says in the reading, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus saves. He willingly experienced torture, humiliation, and agonizing pain to take away those rules and complications. How amazing is that? Because of Jesus, God's love has no conditions, no ifs or buts. In John 3.16, it doesn't say that those in, within the world who do this or that, or look like this or that, or love this or that, will be saved. It says those who believe in me will not perish but have eternal life. It says whoever. Nothing we can do will make us deserve God's love. And at the same time, nothing we can do will cause it to be taken away from us. In this passage, Nicodemus goes to see and talk to Jesus during the nighttime. Not during the day, not out in the open, but at night, where it's dark and things can be hidden. He was embarrassed, perhaps even ashamed to see, for anyone to see him with Jesus. So why is this? He shows little disrespect for Jesus, calling him rabbi and listening intently to what he has to say. It can most likely be explained by his identity. He was a Pharisee, a member of the Jewish council. For him, being seen with Jesus is our equivalent of being seen with an insurgent. For Nicodemus, coming to Jesus could well mean the complete destruction of his place in society. But is this reflective of something more than time of day? John might just be using the night to reflect a certain circumstance. In John 11.10, Jesus describes night as the time when we stumble because there is no light within us. Night represents the duality of our personality, the fragmentation and brokenness within us that causes our downfalls and betrayal. Isn't it true that in day-to-day life, there are aspects of ourselves we show to those around us and those we don't? In sociology, it's described as having a front door and a back door. Take this, for example. Most of us have music playlists on our phones, or for some of you, this might be your CD collection, maybe your record collection, or even (laughs) 8-track. And if I asked you to play your music on speaker to the rest of the church, but you'd have complete control over your playlist and what music you'd play, that'd be okay, wouldn't it? Would that change if I asked you to leave your phone up here with me and play your playlist on shuffle? 
I can't speak for everyone, but most people I know would be reluctant, if not totally unwilling to do that. Granted, it's a relatively insignificant aspect of our lives, but we're still uncomfortable with sharing it with those we aren't close to, because within our music, there are parts of our personality we like to show, and the slightly more edgy, girly, silly, or even dark ones we'd rather keep a secret. This is evident everywhere in life. Have you ever gone out during the day after just hurting someone or doing any kind of wrongdoing, and although you've been totally clean in your body and clothes, you felt dirty, as if you're crawling with badness, coated in the mud of your own sin? Nobody can see it. You hide it away, but you know it's there, and it's impossible to get rid of this feeling. You can wash and clean for hours on end, scrub with soap and anti-back, and it still won't go away. The feeling is totally overwhelming, and it tears you apart. In this moment, we're trying to clean our flesh of this sin, but that's not where the dirt lies. The dirt lies in the spirit, and no amount of cleaning will take it away. During the daytime, we seek approval. We show the world our very best selves. We put on a mask and hide the insecurities and vulnerabilities that are really eating us up inside. We go on Facebook or Instagram or any other form of social media, and we create, create this fake person, this fake persona who's always happy, who's content and fulfilled, living the best life. In reality, it's far from the truth. We all have struggles, sadness. We're all broken in one way or another. We are creating a superficial reality, using the possessions we own and the smiles we force to maintain that reputation of cleanliness, of perfection. No one can know how dirty we really are. Keeping this pretense up can be tiring, emotionally exhausting. Pretending everything is fine all the time is difficult and uncomfortable and not a way we want to live our lives. Continuing this gap between our daytime selves and our nighttime selves, however, won't ever make a difference. This way, things will never get better. But there is good news, because we all get to be redeemed. When Jesus died on that cross, he took away all of the parts we want to hide. With God, we are reborn. We get a clean slate, and he will wipe that slate clean over and over again, if that's what we want. I spoke just now about how you feel dirty when you have sinned, how you want to get clean, and how even dressed in clean clothes, you can't get rid of that feeling. In Colossians 3, Paul talks about our life being hidden in Christ with God. He tells us to get rid of certain things, and then goes on to tell us to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, etc., when we dare to come into the light, when we dare to admit that we are in darkness and want something to change, when we say yes to God's offer of salvation, we are given a new wardrobe to wear on the inside. Clean clothes, beautiful clothes, the robes of righteousness. How exciting is that? With God, it's not second chances. It's not him holding up a bank of the bad things you've done. 
It's not a deserved forgiveness. It's grace. An endless love that we can never earn and never lose. It's there and it always will be. With God, we get endless chances because we are reborn. We don't have to pretend anymore. In the passage, it uses the term born in the spirit. And I think that's quite perfect. It's like the phrase, you're alive, but you're not really living. When we're born of the flesh, we start to be alive. But when we are born through Christ, that is when we really start to be alive. Without the Holy Spirit, we're like empty shells. Without God, we have no purpose. Being filled with the Holy Spirit gives a certain level of fulfillment that nothing else can provide. We just have to do one thing, which is both ridiculously easy and overwhelmingly difficult at the same time. We have to recognize that we can't do it on our own, that we need a savior, that without God, we are incapable of true goodness. In theory, this is quite easy. Just pray. Emotionally and in reality, though, it can be quite tricky. For starters, it's really hard to admit that we are incapable of doing this alone. As a culture, we are self-sufficient. We work, we earn, and we look after ourselves. Most of us don't like to accept fault. We want to believe that we are completely independent, that we can do it alone, that we don't need anyone to survive. As well as this, there are so many things in life that tempt us. We want to take the easy path. And living a life with God isn't easy. It's enriching, wonderful, and exciting, but it's not easy. Sometimes you have to make sacrifices. Sometimes it can feel like there's no one looking out for you, like your prayers aren't being answered. And we're not alone in feeling this way. In the Psalms, we see David struggling and calling out for help. In Psalm 69, verse 3, he says, I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail in looking for my God. And in Psalm 31, he says, Hour by hour, I place my days in your hand, safe from the hands out to get me. Don't embarrass me by not showing up. Save me because you love me. Ah, no, I've given you plenty of notice. It is normal to feel unheard, but God is listening, and the Holy Spirit is with you every step of the way. We only have to accept it, and we can be reborn. So what does that mean for us? We can just hang back, not really bother trying to do God's will. Jesus took away all my sins, so I can do whatever I please. What's the point in trying to be a good Christian when, when we know it can never be achieved and that if it were, it would never make a difference whether, oh, whether or not we get to go to heaven? The answer is simple. If that's what you want to do, we all have free will. I'd be surprised if anyone does, though, because... We don't come to church on Sunday to earn our path to heaven. We don't do good deeds and listen to God's will because we think it might get us into the VIP lounge. It's out of a genuine love for God. Our God is all-loving. 
all-powerful and all-knowing. He is great. He's so much more than our very favorite celebrities, and yet he knows us and loves us. We have a God who knows every sin we've ever committed and will ever commit. Every bad thought we've ever had or will ever have. Our deepest, darkest secrets, and yet still loves us unconditionally. But that's not all. He's also desperate for us to love him back. God's love never fails, never gives up. In the early 1960s, Times Magazine worried for their declining number of viewers, and so sent out thousands of letters attempting to appeal to possible subscribers. Prior to this, it would have all been sorted manually, but this would be costly of both money and time. They developed a fully automated system which would write, seal, address, and stamp, and post the letters. However, we all know how technology can let us down. A glitch in the system left a man in Wyoming receiving over 12,000 letters. <laughs> he began reading them. After opening a few dozen, he sent $6 and a note saying, I give up, to Times Magazine. <laughs> that level of persuasion and commitment to a cause can be hard to resist, and yet isn't even close to the strength, power, and persuasion of God's love. It's pretty inconceivable that we can be loved quite as much as we are by God. So back to the account in John. Nicodemus went to Jesus in search of answers. He had questions and wanted to hear the word of the Lord through Jesus. He probably was quite taken aback through Jesus telling him he must be born again to see the kingdom of God. He reverted to literalism, considering only the impossibilities of being born again. We can all agree, with little doubt, that it is impossible to crawl back inside our mother's womb and be born again of the flesh. <laughs> what he didn't see straight away were the endless possibilities of being born with the Spirit. Jesus then talks of being, being born of water and of the Spirit of an eternal life in God. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever remains in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Being born again isn't easy as a concept or in practice. For Nicodemus, this would have been especially so. He was born a Jew and was a Jewish leader. He will have been taught about a day of judgment. His beliefs will have been shaken to the core in finding that, in actuality, he won't be judged in the same way for his actions or thoughts, but instead can be born again and saved. His upbringing will have consisted of all the laws and complications of his religion, of Mosaic law. Go to the book of Le Leviticus and read, law after law after law, rule after rule after rule, that the Pharisees tried to adhere to in order to make them clean before God. Read about the sacrifices that they were commanded to make and see why this will have been such a shock to Nicodemus. But then read what Paul says in Hebrews 10. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for his sins, he sat at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool, because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever 
those who are being made holy. Nicodemus needed to understand that through Jesus, all of his sins were being taken away. All of his sacrifices were being fulfilled. And Jesus sat at the right hand of God. You don't take a seat midway through a task. You sit down when your task is complete. Jesus' task is complete. And yesterday, today, and forever, we will be saved because of that. I now challenge you to think about your own lives. Does your religion focus around the rules and complications you try to follow intricately? Do you still believe that you can get to heaven? Can be redeemed without God? Do you still believe that you have to make sacrifices in order to be worthy of God? That alone you can do it? Well, I'm telling you now, we can't. We can never earn God and we can never lose God. So take this into your own lives today and see that God is good. See that you are saved. You are clothed in kindness and humility and you are wearing those robes of righteousness. So let the Holy Spirit in and allow yourself to be washed clean. The only way we can be saved is through God because we must be born from above. And without Jesus, this is an impossibility. But with God, anything is possible. Thank you.